How are you guys doing this morning? I'll tell you, I tell you, you know, I, I was remarking to somebody earlier that this may be the only place I've heard laughter all week. I have not heard laughter, I haven't heard, seen smiles, I haven't seen people uh, in fellowship together. Uh, this week, and this is the first place, and so this is amazing. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome all the people that are here. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, prioritizing Sunday morning. Um, we are being joined by people from all over this nation, all over the world, uh, because of our online efforts, and uh, I want to thank our team for that. Um, this week, or actually the past couple weeks, you guys, I have been getting one question over and over and over again. And if you follow me on Facebook, um, you, I, I wrote uh, something to address this. And as of uh, uh, this morning, I believe it's been shared more than 1,200 times. Apparently, it's really something that's on people's minds. And so we decided to set aside what we were going to talk about today and address this issue because this seems to be the one everybody is asking. And the question has just been bombarding my inboxes and, and text messages and questions simply is this, are we living in the end times? Is this it? Somebody said, is this it for America? Is this it? Are we done? And, um, and so uh, I decided, I, I told that person, well, hey, hang on, hang on. You know, I... I um, don't, don't, don't lose your cool. Let's talk about this. And so, uh, so my, my, my post was in reference to that. And today we're going to address this question. Are we living in the end times? Uh, like I said, there's a great deal of stress and anxiety about it right now. Um, in general, I will tell you this. I don't like to discuss what might or what may happen. I, I don't live that way. I don't live uh, uh, you know, my life on what might happen or what may happen. Um, I, like to, uh, I like to speak to things that I can, I can back up and I can uh, intelligently talk about. Um, and, and so I've seen preacher after preacher after preacher talk about the end times and say, well, Jesus is coming this day and, and this month, and when it doesn't happen, their credibility is undermined. So I want to shy away from that. Uh, but, so I prefer to speak only to things that I know or I can accurately talk about. However, I was, and like I said, I wasn't going to say anything about this topic today, but I'm, in my daily reading, I'm reading the Bible in a Year plan on version. I recommend you guys doing that. Um, but I came across Ezekiel uh, chapter 3, verse 17. And Ezekiel was a prophet that was sent to Israel. And the Lord said this in verse 17, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable. Talking to Ezekiel. But if you do warn the wicked person, they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways. They will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. See, see I, I, if I see things as, as a pastor, if I see things... Uh, in scripture, or and, and I don't say anything about it, then, then I'm going to be held accountable for it, is what, what it says. So it's in that spirit, with humility and with admission, I'm not an expert in Bible prophecy. I wish I had more time to study it, but I'm not. Uh, we go forward. So um, the book of Revelation, which is the last book in, in the Bible, um, was written by the apostle John. And they had tried to kill him several times. They tried to execute him several times, and it never worked. 
Um, he was kind of, I guess he was kind of like that, that mouse that's in your house and, and he evades all the traps and, and you know, you just could, couldn't get him. And so they exiled him to a, a, a prison island called Patmos. It was the Roman Empire's version of Alcatraz, uh, except for it made Alcatraz look like a Hilton. Um, it was really, really bad. And so when he was on the island of Patmos, this, he received this vision from God about how the world was going to end. And he wrote it down in the book that is now known as Revelation. That's what this is. Okay? Um, and so he wrote them, and, and they were sent to churches, to Christians, to give them hope. What most people don't realize about the book of Revelation is that it was written to encourage. Most people don't see that. Most people don't believe that, don't know that. The book of Revelation was written to Christians to encourage them that, listen, the stuff you're going through, the, the hard times, the persecutions, the the the, the the world going to hell in a handbasket, this is how it ends. Stay strong, be encouraged. That's what the book of Revelation was written to. Written to all right? And so what, what the Bible tells us is that humanity is a five-act play. All right? Act one, God creates the world. And everything is good. Act two, we as humans screw it up like we always do. Screwed it up. We sin. We rebelled against God, and then then human history begins with all of the all of the stuff in, in in the Bible and the the histories and the wars and all this kind of stuff. Act three, Jesus comes for the first time, and he arrives, and he shows us how to live. He teaches us. He 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 d- goes to the cross. He dies. He's resurrected. That's chapter three, or act three. Act five, Jesus returns again and judges all evil and puts everything to right. That's act five. Act four is what we're living in right now. Okay? So the Bible tells us that it's a five-act play. We're in, we're in act four right now, and we may be very close to the end of act four is what, what the Bible is saying. And so what are the signs? What, what, how do we know that act four is getting ready to end, and Act 5 is getting ready to start. That's the question we want to ask. And so um, the Bible describes the end of, of Act 4, of Chapter 4 of human history, describes things that we present in that time, okay? And so we're going to go through. The first thing is this. Um, only God knows the exactly when Jesus will return. Uh, a lot of you know that. A lot of you don't. But if, you, if, if anyone says... This is the date. I think this is the date. I think this is when Jesus is going to return. This is when it's going to be all disregard him. Because even Jesus himself said he didn't know. Here in Matthew and Mark 13, 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. All right? So the problem is, is when we talk about things like this, People say, I, I, people say, well, he's coming today or, or next week. Or I, How many of y'all were alive during Y2K? I heard a lot about Y2K and about how the Lord was going to return then, and Armageddon was going to happen, and, and everybody that said that looks foolish now. Okay, so, so it, it becomes kind of like a car alarm. You hear it so frequently, you don't even listen. You don't even look up. Car alarms go off out here all the time. I don't even hear them. Because it's always a false alarm, seems like. So that's what it's become. That's what it becomes. All right? The second thing that the Bible describes is this, that certain events will precede Christ's return. We're going to be talking about some of those, but the big one that I want to talk about right now is there will be a societal breakdown. 
Okay, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul writes this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. We're going to talk about that a little bit later today. Um, but one of the things that will happen is a general breakdown of society. Now, now, the argument can be made that this scripture has always been relevant. As a matter of fact, the first, uh, sermon, first time I ever heard this scripture, I was uh, in seminary, and I was going to Southland Christian Church, and Mike Bro preached a sermon about this. And he, after he read this scripture, he said, I think we can just put a big label across that, 1998. Um, uh, I remember reading in a history book saying this scripture, this particular passage of scripture, is one of the things that motivated the Puritans to come over here from Europe, to escape Europe, because they thought that God's judgment was going to hit Europe, because that's what they thought. They thought that his fist would you know, come down and it hit them too. So that's one of the reasons they left and came to America. So people have, have always used this scripture as, as, what, as, as what's been going on. The third thing that, uh, that the Bible says is that Jesus will return in power and glory. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-7, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Jesus will return. All right? Bible says this, the next one, that Jesus will return to take Christians to be with him forever. And in John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus says this, and if I go, uh, and if I go pre- prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. All right? The next thing the Bible says is that Jesus will return in judgment. Okay? Uh, Matthew uh, 25, 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. All right, so there are a lot of things, kind of a a foundation for understanding what is going to happen, what the Bible says is, 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 is going to happen in the end times. Okay, so what I did, and I went through the book of Revelation, I kind of did a timeline of what chapter 5 is going to look like, because that's what the end of chapter 4 is going to look like, and so this is what's going to happen in chapter 5. Now, I'm, I have I've done a lot of research, I highly recommend you do your own, um, but this is kind of a general timeline of the book of Revelation of what John saw. The first thing he, that, that would, would be, there would be prophetic signs. There would be prophetic signs that, that, this is, that, that, that Jesus is returned, that this is the end. One of the things that Jesus talked about were there would be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, natural disasters, these kind of things. And people say, well, those have happened since the beginning of time, and you would be right. But I, I didn't understand until I became a father what Jesus said when he said these will be like birth pains. Uh, those of you that are parents know how birth pains happen. First you get Braxton Hicks. And a lot of you, you know, just get some false labors, a random contraction here or there, but doesn't mean anything. And then when you go into actual labor, you get a contraction, it's not too bad, and it's pretty far apart, and then you get another contraction, 
Well, further apart, and then you get another one and another one. They get closer together more frequently in, in intensity, right? Well, that's what the Bible says, that nearing the end of, nearing the end of chapter 4, that these wars and these famines, these earthquakes, these hurricanes, natural disasters will increase in frequency and intensity, Okay? So that's, that's one of the signs that will, that will uh, happen at the end of Act, of Act 4. Then the, there is a thing called the rapture that will happen. The rapture is, is one of the most misunderstood things in, in, the, in the Bible. People think the rapture and Jesus' return is the same thing. It is not. Okay? It is not. The rapture is where the church, and this is, this is, what, this is this what the Bible says, the church, the Christians, the true believers will be taken out of this world by angels. The angels will come and do this. This is not the return of Christ. They're two different things. The rapture is where, if you've ever seen Left Behind, where the people just kind of disappear, where clothes are sitting there where people used to be. And those, that, that, will, that is what is known as the rapture. Now, needless to say, that will throw the world into confusion, <laughs> having Hundreds of millions of people disappear in an instant. We'll throw the world into confusion. The economy will, will there will be crashes. You can just imagine what it would be like. Well, out of the chaos, the Bible says, will arise a charismatic world leader. He will be self-effacing. He will be humble. He will present all of the solutions to all of the problems we're facing. He is known as the Antichrist. He is a charismatic world leader that will consolidate the world into one world government. That's what, that's what John foresaw. Now because of this, because of, of this consolidation of power and everything, there will be war and slaughter. And the Bible says one quarter of all people will die in an instant. All right. Now can you imagine John in, the, in 2000, 2,000 years ago, no electricity, no nuclear weapons. No, can you imagine what he was? How, did, how does one quarter of the entire world die in one instant? Well, since Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that doesn't surprise us much, does it? Well, so he goes on. After this massive slaughter, um, there will be 144,000 Jewish, uh, ethnically Jewish people that will be chosen and sealed to be God's evangelists. They will be from the nation of Israel, from the bloodline of Abraham. They will be from, they will be ethnically Jewish, and they will go to the four corners of the earth and preach the gospel, 144,000 of them, all right? Then after, after the, with the preaching, then there becomes, comes to become a separation between God's Chosen and God's uh, and uh, Christians and non-Christians, um, non-Christians will be tortured by what look like scorpion-like creatures. John said that that they will single out. They will go after the ones that are not Christians. I don't know if they're Asian murder hornets or I, I don't know, but they're they're described as scorpion-like creatures. And after this, another third of all people will die. Um, and it says this, in the book of Revelation, it says, even after all of this untold suffering, the death, the carnage, the, 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 I can't even imagine what this is like. It says specifically that people will refuse to repent. They will shake their fist at God. They will curse God, but they will not repent. All right? Um, then at this point, something strange will happen. Two people, known as two witnesses, 
will begin to preach in the city of Jerusalem. They will begin to preach uh, um, uh, against the Antichrist. They'll start to preach the gospel, preach Christ, preach repentance. They'll be supernaturally protected by God, John says. Um, The Antichrist will walk up to them and kill them. And their bodies will lay in in the street of Jerusalem for three days. And the entire world, the Bible says, will look on them. The entire world. Now, can you imagine what John was thinking? How in the world do people all the way over here see them? How do they? Well, it's not so hard for us to imagine, is it? Let me pull this up. We can see around the world in an instant. All right? <clears throat> then it shifts in Revelation chapter 12 to a, to a, it shifts from the world events and shifts to heaven. And all of a sudden, th- th- we see heavenly warfare, a war between Satan and God. And uh, Satan is cast to the earth, and he indwells the Antichrist. He, he becomes, he possesses the Antichrist. And, uh, and, and when that happens, the Antichrist then throws off all veneer of being a, uh, a benevolent dictator, and he goes after Christians. If you think the, the persecution you've seen today and around the world is bad, this will be terrible. This will be awful when you have Satan literally going after the Christians. All right? Heavy persecution of Christians. Then it says the Antichrist will walk into Jerusalem, into the temple of Jerusalem, and proclaim himself to be God. All right? Then probably the most, most uh, popular or most familiar sign of the, end, of, of the end times happens. The mark of the beast will be given. After the Antichrist proclaims himself to be God. This is how the chapter 5 is going. After the Antichrist proclaims himself to be God, he will mandate that you take a sign, a mark of loyalty to him. And it is the, the way that the Bible describes it. It's either a mark on the right hand or the forehead. You cannot buy or sell unless you have this mark. Now, um, I, I can't imagine what John was thinking. How, how in the world do you stop someone from buying or selling? And, and well... It's probably what, what he saw, probably looking at today's technology, is most like some type of a credit card, some type of a microchip, um, some type of, uh, of, of, of biometric data um, where you, you basically have to scan your hand or your forehead or something to, uh, uh, to, to be able to buy or sell. Now, we couldn't even imagine this prior to 1948. 1948 was the first credit card when people stopped using cash. Now, we're look, about 7% of financial transactions are cash. 93% are online. And so moving to uh, this type of a situation would not be hard to do. Now, I have heard some Bible prophecy experts believe that possibly this mark would be a certification, maybe of a vaccine. Maybe that you are uh, COVID-19, you've, you've taken the, the vaccine of a worldwide pandemic. I've heard that. Um, I'm not ready to say that yet. Because this is an oath of loyalty to the Antichrist. This is not, it won't be passed off as, um, as uh, you know, this is, this is something else. This is an oath of loyalty to the one world government. So that, that's, that's what's going to happen. You will not be able to buy or sell unless you have this mark. And the Bible makes this very, very clear. That once you take the mark... Once you take the mark, it's over for you. You could take the mark and, and, and regret it instantly, say, what did I, it's, it's over. Your judgment is done. That's what the Bible says. There's no coming back once you take the mark of the beast. All right? Now, right after, right after this, there's untold death and suffering uh, among non-Christians. 
uh, the return, then you see the return of Christ. Right then, at the end of, this is a seven-year period, this, right after that, you see the return of Christ. That's when Christ comes back. And he arrived one time as a little baby, but he ain't coming back the second way that way. The Bible describes him as riding an, a, a white horse with an iron scepter, uh, uh, an iron you know, weapon, and written on his uh, uh, written on his cape as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His eyes are blazing. He comes back literally as a war captain, and the church arrives with him with the saints. Uh, the Antichrist government is destroyed. Christ reigns for a thousand years on earth here with saints, and then the people of the world are judged, and then a new heaven and a new earth is put together. That's the way, that's what John wrote in the book of Revelation. Now remember, this was an encouragement to Christians to say, stay strong, look, look how it ends. We win. So chill out. Stay faithful. All right? That's a timeline for Act 5 chapter of history. So the, the specific things, though, that, that's kind of Act 5. So that's how we end up. So, so what are we supposed to look for in Act 4? Well, these are some of the things. There are tons of them. I picked five. I've picked five things that I think are very relevant that we need to be looking. Now, remember, no one knows the date or the time. We don't know, but we can know the season. All right? We're supposed to read the signs. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 33 through 34. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Talking about his return. That's chapter 5. Uh, we can't know the date. We can know the season. Okay? And I believe we are in the season of the Lord's return. This is why. The first thing the Bible says would mark the beginning of the end times was the reestablishment of Israel in 1948. See, Israel as a nation ceased to exist in AD 70. The seven, and when the Romans destroyed the temple and put down a rebellion, the nation of Israel went into the dustbin of history, like the Amorites, the Hittites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the, all, all these ancient people that are in the dustbin of history. And for, one, for uh, close to 1,900 years, they did not exist. And this prophecy here in Isaiah, verse 11, 11 through 12, says, In that day the Lord will bring back a remnant of his people for a second time, returning them to the land of Israel from Assyria, Lower Egypt, Upper Egypt, Ethiopia, Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, and the distant coastlands. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Now, Bible scholars thought this was figurative because they could not imagine God actually doing that. Well, in 1948, after World War II, the nation of Israel was reestablished. Think about it. Think about how unlikely that is. That was prophesied by Isaiah 3,000 years ago. So that was going to mark the beginning of the end of chapter 4. Okay? Remember that. Um, the, the, uh, the second thing that, uh, um, well, I'm sorry, the Lord will return, it says, when the people are gathered to their ancestral homeland. Keep your eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on Israel. All right, the second thing that would mark, would be a mark of the season of the Lord's return is the reunification of Europe. Now, I'm 46 years old. When I grew up and I was being educated in public school in Lexington, I, was, I grew up in the 80s. How many children of the 80s do we have here? Second best decade of rock and roll behind the 60s. But I grew up in the waning end of the Cold War. 
My parents growing up in the 60s, how many children of the 60s do we have? Okay. Some of you still remember the 60s. Okay. Um, 70s, any, any children of the 70s? Okay, black lights and shag carpet, awesome. Uh, uh, everything was avocado and burnt orange, right? Crushed velvet, uh, I love that. No, but if you grew up in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, you understood Europe to be divided. Half of Europe was behind the Iron Curtain of Communism. Um, uh, the, the, the Soviet Union dictated what went on in, in Europe. There was a West Germany and East Germany, the Berlin Wall. Any of these remember, seem familiar to any of you children uh, of the 80s, 70s, and 60s? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Europe was divided. Well, with Glasnost in 1994 and, this, and, this, uh, and from 1989 to 1994, the Soviet Union imploded and the Iron Curtain disappeared. And all of a sudden, we had a new country, a new economy known as the European Union. Reunification. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 41 through 44, and Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, has a, a, a dream as a prophecy of, a, of Gentile kingdoms to come. All right? And so Europe is going to play a big, big deal in end time prophecy. Uh, most Bible scholars agree that the Antichrist will arise out of the ashes of the old Roman Empire, which is Europe. I remember when, when it, it seems like every time one of our presidents gets elected, oh, I think he's the Antichrist. No. No. By, most Bible scholars agree the Antichrist will arise out of the old Roman Empire. It'll be a European, of, a European descent. Okay? Like I said, he'll be a charismatic world leader, self-effacing. Rise to power and bring the, bring the uh, uh, world under one government. Reunified unified Europe is a major play in end-time prophecy. So those two geopolitical moves that no one anticipated, the reestablishment of Israel and the reunification of Europe play right into the season of the Lord's return. Um, the third uh, thing is a movement towards a one-world economy. Um, when I went to Europe for the first time in 1991 to play soccer, I went to Austria, went to Italy, went to um, uh, Austria, Italy, Germany, and Holland. All four of those countries, we had to get different currency. We had to get lira. In Italy, we had to get Deutschmarks in Austria. Uh, we had to get German Deutschmarks in Germany. I can't remember what we got in Holland. I can't, I, can't, I can't remember what it was. Now, it's the Euro. Now, we have, we're moving towards a one-world economy. All right? And that is a major player in the, in the end times. In Revelation chapter 18, it talks about a one-world economy. People reunited under one currency. Um, the fourth thing, and these are the big ones right here. These are the things that, uh, that really get me, are the technological advances that make end-time prophecy possible. The first thing is this television satellite transmission, and, that, and I include smartphones and tablets and Internet on that as well. In Revelation 11, 8 through 9, talk, talking about the two witnesses I, I referred to earlier, it said their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. There's only one time in history where the entire world can look at one thing, and that is now. It could not have happened 100 years ago, could not have happened 50 years ago, could not have happened 200 years ago, probably could not have even happened 30 years ago. With the inter invention of the internet, all of a sudden, this is possible. Right, the second thing, technological advances, the weapons of mass destruction. 
referred to earlier in Revelation 6, 8. John writes this, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and the wild beasts of the earth. Obviously, to someone like John, who's, who's, who was 2,000 years ago, would not understand missiles. Would not, he just had to write what he thought he saw. But it, the, with the invention of nuclear weapons, weapons of mass destruction, we can see a quarter of the Earth's population gone in an instant, like is prophesied here. We have the means to do that. But the big one is the human marking, the human marking. Um, Revelation 13, 16 through 17, I said, it, the, the, talking about the mark of the beast. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and, for, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay? The human marking is now possible. Uh, the, the, we're moving towards a cashless society, moving towards uh, biometric stuff. This is very possible now. We don't know the date, but we can know the season. All of these things are kind of, it's like things are moving into place. Like chess pieces are moving into place. All right? And so the human marking is we have the ability to do that now. And to deny people buying and selling if they don't have a microchip. All right? The fifth one is the thing that bothers me the most, though. Bothers me the most. And there's going to be a great apostasy in the church. Apostasy, apostasy means turning away. All right, 2 Timothy 4.3, For time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that is exactly what we see in, a, in the Western church, if not the church everywhere. We see a great turning away. We see churches that don't even preach the gospel anymore. People that don't even baptize anymore. People that do not emphasize life change, do not emphasize surrender to Christ, do not emphasize a turning from sin. As a matter of fact, I was even told in seminary not to teach those things because that turned unbelievers away. We can't live like that, though. There, 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 will, be, there will be a great turning away where people will not want to hear the gospel. They will not want to hear that there's something wrong with them that they need to repent of. They will not think that there's objective evil and objective good. There is not a, 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 a truth and untruth. It's just whatever they want. It's what the Bible says. Have we ever seen or heard of any of that going on right now? It's exactly the cultural mood right now. The worst sin in America that you can commit is to tell someone else that they're doing something wrong. There will be a great apostasy in the church. And this year, we've seen church after church after church after church basically become echo chambers for the mass media, preaching talking points from the New York Times as opposed to preaching the Bible. We've seen that. There's a great turning away, all right? So with those things, like I said, I don't like to live in the word might and what may happen. With all of these things, I believe these chess pieces are moving into place that, that we, we are in the season. I'm not going to say the date when we are in the season. What are we to do? What, are, what am I as a pastor supposed to teach? What are you as Christians supposed to do? How do we react to this? How do we do this? Well, I, there are four things we could do. The first thing is fear and panic. 
That's the first thing we could do. We could listen, we could look at, wow, the Lord's returning. I'm going to panic. I'm going I'm I'm to absolutely lose it. I'm going to live in fear. Well, the Bible tells us not to do that. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is inappropriate for Christians to live in fear and panic. That's not the right response when you hear these things. There should be no fear in a believer. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive, you Christians should be the most courageous people in the world. Fear and panic is completely wrong for us to respond to this. The second thing that I believe is equally wrong, but is being floated by, by many people in seminaries and, and, and even a, a very renowned pastor, and I call it holy huddle time. What that means is the world is done, the Lord's returning soon, let's collapse inward. Let's spend time, let, let's circle the wagons as a church. Let's not do anything. Let's not try to reach this world. Let's not try to speak truth to it. It's done. We're just going to holy huddle. The, the, uh, the, the, the pastor that is promoting this calls it the Benedictine option. I don't know if you've heard about it. The Benedictine option. He, he said what the monks did in the, when, when the, in the Middle Ages when the church was, had lost its way, they, they went to monasteries and they just kind of held out until the church kind of imploded, and then they came out with the truth. All right, that's, that's what this pastor is saying we should do now. But the Bible tells us that's not an option. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't believe in the holy huddle. I never have and I never will. Because if someone had holy huddled and not told me the gospel, I'd be lost. And so I do not believe in the holy huddle. As a matter of fact, the darker the light, the, the darker the night, the more brightly a single candle will, show, will shine. And so the darker this world gets, the more important the message of the church, of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. I want to tell you this. I'm not a big social media star. I'm not. I'm little rinky-dink kibbler sitting in Nicholsville, Kentucky. Most people don't even know where Nicholsville is. Since the riots and since the trouble and since everything has hit here, the things I've spoken about Christ on social media, about love, about um, you name it, have been read and shared more than when things were good. I'm telling you, if you have any semblance of patience, of calm, of faith, of joy, you will shine in this day and age. It is not time for the church to only huddle. It is time for the church to be the example. Like I said, when I walked in here today, you guys, it's the first time I'd heard laughter all week long. First time I saw smiles. 
First time I saw community. And the people in our community are scared. They're living in fear. They're living in panic. They need to see us having faith. It's not holy huddle time. The third thing we can do is what I did most of my life when I heard about Bible prophecy. Blow it off. I figured, eh, no one knows the day or the time. Just going to blow it off. I'm not going to listen to this. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 said, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So what are we supposed to do? This is what I'm going to tell us to do. This is what I expect of the people in this church and people that are watching online. This is what I expect. This is what you can count on me to do and that what I want to count on you to do as well is that I want us to be found faithful, to stay faithful through all of it. If the Lord is returning, if we are in the season of the Lord's return, if, some, if the world is ending, then when it happens, let us be found faithful. Let us be loving our families. Let us be loving our neighbors. Let us be serving uh, according to our gifts. Let us be preaching the gospel, making, making disciples. Let us be continue to meet together. Let us continue to be faithful to study, to prayer. In other words, whatever happens, let when it happens, let let the Lord find us faithful. That's what I say. Matthew 24, 12-13, it says this, Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Did you know that in the end times, Jesus says this, because of the increase in wickedness, you and you and them out there and out there, I don't mean you specifically, um, are going to distance from each other our love is going to grow cold, the Bible says. You're going to start viewing your neighbor with suspicion. You're going to stop helping. You're going to stop giving. You're going to stop being generous. You're going to stop giving people the benefit of the doubt. You're going to withdraw, is what the Bible says. Because things are going, getting so bad out there, people are just going to kind of separate. They may not be violent and abusive, but the Bible says their love is going to grow cold. And what Jesus is saying, do not let that happen to you. Do not let your love grow cold. Do not withdraw from what Jesus tells us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to serve, to, 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 to stay on mission and on purpose. That is what we are to do. Let us be found faithful whatever happens. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. There, I, as I walked outside this week and as I have driven around and I've been to places and basically what I can tell is that there's just a lot of suspicion. People that used to be friends now are suspicious of each other. People that used to go to church together now don't go to church together anymore. People that uh, used to laugh, used to go out to lunch. I don't go out to lunch anymore because we've been divided. This virus, you guys, it's going to go away. All viruses do. All viruses go away. It's going to eventually go away. We all know it. It's only a matter of time. But the damage to relationships, to friendships, to family members, to churches, it's going to last a long time. Maybe you've been guilty of this. Maybe 
You online have been guilty of this, looking at people, maybe treating people badly because of their views on a piece of cloth over the face. It seems to be the biggest dividing issue right now, as if we needed something else to divide us. Everybody's got their own opinions on that, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion, no doubt. But how you treat people that view that differently than you, that's what's going to last. Let us be found faithful to each other. Your disagreements over a mask or over a virus do not entitle you to treat other people badly. So let's continue to love each other. We don't need anything else to divide us in this nation. We don't need anything else dividing us. Like I said, this virus is going to be over, but what you have said and done to people in the name of a mask could last for the rest of your life. If you've lost friends or if you've lost family members over this, I want to ask you to repent. I want to ask you to apologize to whoever you've offended. I want to ask you maybe go out to lunch, reconnect with them this week. There's no need for all that. Like I said, the virus is going to be gone, but the damage you do while this virus is here may last a lot longer. So church, let us as Christians set the example while the world is out there fighting over whatever. Let us be united. Let us love each other. Let's respect each other. How shall we then live? Are we living in the end times? If we are, then let us be found faithful. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and pray. And uh, uh, just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as, uh, as we are in these strange times, there was no class in seminary on how to minister during a pandemic. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. Most people don't know what they're doing. And nobody's doing well. Everybody's having a rough time. And so what I ask, Lord, is if this is the season of your return, I pray, first of all, that you would come quickly. And second of all, I pray that when, when you do, that you would find every person in this church faithful. Spouses faithful to each other. Church members faithful to their churches. Uh, neighbors faithful to their neighbors. Faithful to providing for our, our families, providing for our neighbor, for our communities. Loving the unlovable, reaching, preaching the gospel, making disciples. Because you didn't say you, you do all those things unless there's a pandemic. Lord, let us be found faithful. And let us be the example. A light on a hill during these troubled times. In the name of Jesus, we pray.